Now, I do want to specify, I probably don't call leads the same thing that the industry does. A lead to us is somebody organically reaching out directly to us. We do no outbound marketing. So we don't do any cold calls. We don't do any purchased leads from Zillow or Redfin or Realtor.com or anything like that. So no purchase. These are people who heard about one brokerage are reaching out to get a one brokerage loan, right? Right. And in the second quarter of 2023, we had 3,331 delivered leads. Wow. So that's close to a thousand a month, maybe a little bit less. And some of them are not obviously going to go anywhere, but then- Oh, of course, there's still a conversion ratio, right? But these are better than, you know, your cold calling conversion ratio is what, 2% maybe, maybe 1%. You know, these probably get a, you know, 30, 35% closing rate. You know, they're hot leads. They're people who want a loan right now that we didn't do anything to generate, right? They just heard us talking and they reached out. So then that would be about 900 mortgages you'd close from that number, do you think, or what would be- Probably be in that ballpark, yeah. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today, I have Christian Batchelder. Christian is one of the founders of One Brokerage, and it's one of the fastest growing brokerages in the U.S. right now. And they've actually, Christian is also a podcaster on the Bigger Pockets Network, which is a massive, I have no idea. I knew that they were big. I had no idea that how big platform that they have and Christian talks about sort of how to make adjustments for the current market. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation that I have with Christian. The guy's a smart dude and I do a second conversation with him that's coming up in the next one. We talk about marketing and he honestly has some marketing stuff in there that I hadn't heard before and I've done 500 of these and I was like, huh, that's also a clever idea. So I think you're going to find this conversation with Christian really valuable. Also on the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Tom Hall about what to do about changes in the mortgage market. Before we jump into that, we'll give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. Very easy for borrowers to use. It's got some cool features built in like smart docs, knows what documents client needs. It's attached to lender spotlights. When you go to hit submit, it's actually saying, hey, you know you're sending to this lender. You're aware these are the guidelines. So it basically helps you, you know, wasting time and understanding what to do with your files. It's very intuitive. Check them out at lendesk.com slash Finmo and check out this conversation with Christian. Hey, Christian, welcome to the show. Hey, appreciate you having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business. Yeah, so I have kind of a really non-conventional story, I think, and especially considering where I started and where I ended up. I started actually completely in a different industry. I was a chemical engineer, believe it or not. Graduated, got my degree from UC Berkeley in chemical engineering, did a little bit in the industry, was significantly underwhelmed by it. I was in kind of this weird subset of people that something that I was good at and I had a knowledge and understanding of it. I didn't enjoy. It didn't kind of scratch that itch in my brain. So moved back home, jobless, not knowing what to do. Reached out to a childhood friend of mine who I knew his dad was just general terms successful. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. what does that what does that mean when you're a kid, right? You got money, you got a nice house, right? Nice kid, car, nice house, must be yeah, successful. You know, a kid always seems to have, you know, the newest thing, right? Newest TV, newest, you know, whatever you care about when you're a kid. But I reached out to him. His dad obviously knew me when I was young. And he said, hey, if you know, you're interested, I can come teach you what I do. Right? Kind of interned in with him for a little bit. He was a realtor, a loan officer, and ran an insurance brokerage. So he kind of just ran a financial services company. Fell in love with it. right? I mean, it did end up scratching that itch in my brain that I didn't realize at the time, but I need to be interacting with people. right? I need to be talking mm-hmm. to people. I need to have people looking to me for advice. That's kind of what fulfills my desire you know, internally. I just really kind of took it in full steam ahead. Started prospecting my own business. I closed a couple of deals of, you know, just people that he had known 
that he referred to me to help service got some really good experience there. And then I kind of just took and ran with it. And I, you know, did a bunch of funny gimmicking marketing things and did a bunch of stuff to kind of get my name known. And now leading to where I am now, I am the co-owner and broker of the one brokerage, which is an American mortgage brokerage that is co-owned and co-ran by David Green, who is the host of the bigger pockets podcast. That is my business partner. And we got tagged, I think is in aim or somewhere. I got to look where the article was, but we got tagged as the fastest growing mortgage brokerage in 2022 and 2023. We're on track to do close to a billion dollars in origination this year. So we got on the map and escalated very quickly. And obviously with the benefit that bigger pockets brings, but we also have some very strong people that we've built around. We've got some really good guys on the team, guys and girls, but yeah, that's me. Okay. So tell me about this whole one brokerage thing, which I find fascinating as a guy who started a brokerage just under two years ago. And it's been a big learning curve because I've been in the mortgage space since 2006. But so what prompted you to basically go down this path versus just kind of doing your own production? And I'm curious about that. And then I'm going to ask some more questions about that. Yeah. So I, I was, I was doing my own production. So I, you know, I didn't start in the lending industry with one brokerage. I was with, you know, the mentor, I guess I can call him as my buddy's dad when I was just starting in the industry. You know, and when I started with him, I was, you know, knowledgeable. I was kind of self-taught with like guidelines, you know, in America, we have like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and you got to learn all their funny little programs and their weird guidelines and all this stuff. So I kind of liked that because it was scratching like the engineer itch, right? Like I was solving the problem still. I was like, you know, it wasn't like formulas and algorithms like engineering is, but kind of so, right? You're kind of yeah. mixing the puzzle pieces and figuring out where things fit. But, you know, I obviously I was just I was a young kid, right? I was just figuring it out. I was not, you know, anybody that's recognizable. I didn't have a, you know, some people enter the industry and their dad's been a realtor for 30 years. I didn't have that, right? I didn't have that benefit. Mm-hmm. So no real referral partners. I didn't have family members that were investors. I didn't have family members that were business owners. I just got it there and started talking to people. And I found myself kind of hanging out around bigger pockets, which is this basically the Facebook of real estate, right? And just kind of relentless pursuit of not only trying to grow my own knowledge, but, you know, I kind of became obsessed with just like talking to new people every day. Right. And that led to me eventually wanting to service them. And when I was, I started as just a real estate agent, I would realize that when I would refer one of my buyers over to a lender is that the lender would usually mess up, right? They would have Mm -hmm. bad service. They wouldn't know guidelines. They would tell the borrower something they couldn't do, you know, just general bad financial service. And you know, I realized, hey, how hard can it be? Let me try to do it myself. Got my lending license, started doing it. And a lot of people say, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And that was the biggest, you know, argument and counterpoint that I got during my start to the industry. But mm-hmm. I would usually respond with, well, I believe I can be a master at all of them, right? And eventually I even transitioned to getting my insurance license and I've bought and sold a couple different insurance agencies. So kind of bringing that all together, the reason why those are the three I targeted is that if we can find the house, real estate brokerage, perfect. If we can finance the house, perfect, that's mortgage brokerage. And if we can protect and insure the house to make sure the borrower doesn't lose it, perfect. Now we have a full financial service kind of piecemeal together. Normally you'd have to go to Remax or XP to get your realtor. You'd have to go to Quicken Loans, whatever, to get to your lender. And you'd have to go to State Farm to get your insurance. And you know we do it all together. And once you have a consult call with somebody like me when I started, and you know, you're comparing me to an XP realtor, it's a hard comparison, right? Because your XP realtor can't pull up current rates, talk about your financing, talk about the points you got to pay on your loan, and then go talk about the property insurance on what dwelling coverage is and how much is going to be per month and what coverages you can't skimp out on. And that kind of led me just kind of growing and getting recognized. And when David, my business partner, was attempting to start a mortgage brokerage, I was near the top of his list and we hit it off very quickly. Right. So how did you meet David from Bigger Pockets? 
Yeah, that's a funny story. So I actually had a client where I was the lender and he was the realtor, actually, believe it or not. And he just called me up one day and he said, hey, Christian, I'm so-and-so's realtor. I hear you're the lender. She tells me you're really good. She's a personal friend of mine. So, you know, just giving you my contact to see if you need anything. We closed the deal. Everything went well. And then we didn't talk for about six months, 12 months, something like that, probably close to a year. And it wasn't until that point where he was thinking of starting mortgage brokerage. And I was on a short list of people that he had done loans with. I was not the first call. <laughs> so he he was going through a couple others. And obviously with the volume that he does and the need for somebody to be able to build systems and motivate people, you know, not a lot of people could step up to the plate very quickly. But I think he went through four or five options. And then he called me and we we were like two peas in a pod the minute it happened. You know, I had all the systems and training and guidance and knowledge in place. I just needed the network, right? And he had the opposite. He had the he network. Had the other half. Yeah, he had the other yeah. half. Yeah, and equation. you know, it was like that long Tetris piece just slides right in the space you need, right? I mean, it was like the perfect fit. But yeah, that's us. That's how that worked. Okay, cool. And then, so he's a real estate agent. Is he still an active real estate agent or is the bigger yes. one? Yes, okay. very active. Yeah, he's in the top 1% of Keller Williams agents in the entire country. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's very, very high volume real estate broker. Right. Okay. And then, so it just made sense. Hey, look, you generate a lot of traffic and interest from this podcast. We're already doing the real estate. Wouldn't it be cool if we could also help the clients with the mortgage side of it? And that's where you came in. But then you also not only brought mortgage, you brought the insurance side as well, because you had 100%. the insurance license. So you were like two for one deal. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then, you know, just merging them all. It's just natural, right? When the same team, it's not always the same individual, but when the same you know, I'm working with David and Christian's guys. Okay. That means you get a realtor, a loan officer, and an insurance agent, right? It's just seamless. It just helps the transition, you know, from renter into buying or, you know, one owner to an investment property owner, whatever it is. It's just so many fewer conversations you have to have to buy a house, right? Right. What percent of your business would you say, you said you're going to probably finish up the year to about a billion. What percentage of that would be people buying like investment properties versus like primaries 80, in this current market? 80% investments, probably maybe more. So it's yeah. still high on the investment property Oh, yeah. Side. Significant. Yeah. Right. So maybe this is a question I don't know the answer to, but so what areas or parts of the country have properties that make sense from an investment perspective? I mean, there's still opportunities all over the country. I mean, we have people, you know, people are big on even like, you know, house hacking where they buy a multifamily and they live in one and rent out the other. That's like kind of an investment property, right? That can work in any market because if you're changing from renting and, you know, you're now having that house payment go towards, you know, a property, you don't have to cash flow if it's your primary. You just consider that, you know, your monthly helping pay off the mortgage, basically. Correct. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of, you know, obviously the big cities, the Los Angeleses, the New Yorks, those are difficult. You know, property yeah. values are just so inflated, but you know, they're appreciation plays as well. So I wouldn't even call it inflated. I think, you know, most markets find and kind of settle into where they're actually worth. But I mean, Florida is still big, a lot of business in Florida. We get a lot of business in Tennessee, kind of the entire southeast of the country everything from kind of Texas through Florida and up, you know, and where's Virginia. David Green located? What's his primary market for real estate? He's in Northern California and I'm in Southern okay. California. Well, that's where we okay. physically reside. Yeah. And his, his real estate team is actually only in California. So we've, as a lending company, we've expanded past his real estate team, right? So we're in markets where his realtors are not. Right. Okay. makes sense. And then do you have independent agents as well? Or is it just basically you have a team that services leads that come from this bigger pockets thing? Or what's that look like? Yeah, we do. We have both. We have an in-house team is what we call it. That's the people who are basically like the right-hand men and women of myself and David. That's if somebody reaches out to me because they saw a podcast, they saw a webinar, they attended a seminar. Mm -hmm. You know, they want a David or Christian loan, right? Ideally, they want one of us working as their loan officer. 
So we have our kind of front line of defense that is very, very highly trained, very highly reviewed. You know, people that had to earn the position that they're in are make up our like head loan officer, right? Our senior loan officer, so to speak. They know all of our products. There's not a question you can ask them that they wouldn't know. People that we have confidence in, you know, having people work with who reach out to us directly. That's our in-house team. They also have in-house processors. So they don't do anything in terms of pre-approving a file. We have a pre-approval specialist team. So we have a team of what three people, I think, three or four. I have to look at our roster, mm-hmm. but who only do pre-approvals. That's all they do all day. Just pre-approve people. We have a team of processors who do the back end. So that's everything from file registration to appraisal ordering to binding the insurance to locking the rate to doing all that. Obviously, the conversations that you need to have a license is still the requirement of loan officers. So you have to have a phone call with the locking the rate, right? But it really allows the loan officers to open up their time to just be on intro calls all day. I mean, with what we generate for our in-house team, that's what you need to do. You need to have a free calendar all day because we'll book 30 calls for one loan officer today and you're busy from nine to five, right? Wow. So you're like in a month, because this is not even a good market. Do you mind sharing like how many leads and files you guys are kind of seeing in a month? We track by quarter. So I can give you the quarterly numbers and you can just extrapolate monthly. In the second quarter, now I do want to specify, I probably don't call leads the same thing that the industry does. A lead to us is somebody organically reaching out directly to us. We do no outbound marketing. So we don't do any cold calls. We don't do any purchased leads from Zillow or Redfin or Realtor.com or anything like that. So no purchase. These are people who heard about one brokerage are reaching out to get a one brokerage loan, right? Right. And in the second quarter of 2023, we had 3,331 delivered leads. Wow. So that's close to a thousand a month, maybe a little bit less. And some of them are not obviously going to go anywhere, but then- Oh, of course. There's still a conversion ratio, right? But these are better than, you know, your cold calling conversion ratio is what, 2% maybe, maybe 1%. You know, these probably get a, you know, 30, 35% closing rate. You know, they're hot leads. They're people who want a loan right now that we didn't do anything to generate, right? They just heard us talking and they reached out. So then that would be about 900 mortgages you'd close from that number, do you think, or what would be? Probably be in that ballpark, yeah. Yeah. And obviously these are not, you know, it's a trailing indicator, right? So, I mean, these won't close for 90 days probably, right? So these are going to be our closings in the third and fourth quarters of this year. And then, you know, if referrals happen, you know, hopefully these 3,000 people refer another 3,000 people, right? And then you get into that whole, you know, line of thinking. But these are just what are delivered to the in-house team. We have an independent team. They get paid a higher split because we don't provide them leads and resources and technology and all that. But the independent team can still take advantage of our name, of our processing team, of the recognition that putting our logo on your shirt, you know, brings I mean, for instance, I think we hosted a portion of BPCon last year, which is Bigger Pockets Convention. And I think 50, 5,400 people, I think, attended. You know, and we printed out a bunch of shirts for all of our independent guys. And we said, hey, even though you're at our event and you're using our name, go, you know, mingle in the crowd. And if you can generate business, good for you. Right. And I mean, they got 5,000 people sitting there staring at them who will recognize the logo on your shirt. That's pretty big. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, in terms of that, our independent team don't get assigned leads directly. They just use our name to brand themselves and, you know, generate their own business. Right. That's amazing. Okay. So what's been your biggest like insight or learning from starting the brokerage? Our biggest, I guess, like win or victory probably came from our biggest insight in early 2021. I want to say when the rates were really good, market was amazing. Everybody was refinancing everybody instead of getting on the refinance train. David and I had a long, honest conversation and he kind of just gave me his viewpoint on the market. I gave him my thoughts and 
we developed a plan of action. Instead of just going after the 2.5, 2.99 interest rates people all day, we did. But we saw that with the amount of money that the governments you know, in our world were printing, we were going to be in store for rampant inflation. And with inflation comes rate increases. So okay. we developed kind of this plan of attack that said, hey, all these people that are pre-approved right now at 3% won't qualify anymore. So they're going to have to go to non-conventional financing. So we went and developed really strong relationships with unconventional lenders, DSCR lenders and foreign national lenders and these things that you know aren't like the standard Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans in America that nobody was doing. Nobody was doing DSCR loans in 2020. Like they weren't needed because everybody qualified when your rate's two and a half percent, right? Right. So like DSCRs were like complete foreign concept. Nobody understood anything about it, but we went and developed these relationships. And then we helped these lenders actually build some of these products based on the volume that we were doing. Because I mean, when you come to a lender and you generate 3000 leads in a quarter, they want to hear what you have to say, right? They're like, what do mm-hmm. you, what do your clients need? We can maybe build a product. So we built a couple products based on what we were getting asked for. And then we started marketing them in an environment where they weren't needed, which was kind of a bold strategy. But we did that because we knew where it was going. And the moment you know, late 2021 came, we started getting rate increases and then 2022 came and they continued, you know, and now even 2023, they're still going. We've really, really captured a massive market share of the people who were priced out of conventional lending, who still have opportunities to finance properties. And that was really just due to our insight and, you know, not being content with let's just refinance everybody. Right. Right. So you basically, as Wayne Gretzky says, skate to where the puck's going, not where it is. And so exactly. you guys did that. So that's yeah, I think somebody actually used that analogy when we were in that conversation, either myself or Dave. it's probably David. He's an analogy guy. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so where can people yeah. find you online if they're looking to check out the one brokerage? Yeah. So our website's theonebrokerage.com. Pretty straightforward. Just all spelled out. My social medias, I guess, are the one broker. I'm like on all social medias, TikTok, Instagram, whatever. And then if you guys just want to email me, it's just Christian at the one brokerage.com all spelled out. I'm pretty straightforward. All right. Thanks again for listening to that conversation with Christian. Hopefully you picked up some ideas from that and a very smart guy in this next segment. I talked to Tom Hall about what do you go changes in the mortgage market? Hey Tom, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey Scott, great to be here. So uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, yeah, today I want to talk a little bit just because we're seeing a lot of movement kind of on the ground talking to our clients as it relates to, heck, I'd say now, you know, there was a lot of movement maybe a couple of years ago as, you know, things started evolving, there started to be proliferation of more and more tools out there. But I'd say now more than ever, we're really seeing that take form, right? We're really seeing people take that to use and actually implement changes at all levels of the mortgage business. We're really seeing a lot of change. And I just want to kind of discuss that, what that means for, you know, all those different levels of the mortgage market and what to do about it, basically. Right. Okay, cool. So what are the three different levels that you're thinking about? Or is there, how many levels are there? Yeah. So I think three is kind of what we see, and there's probably more, but we like to think about these in the three, which is kind of at the you know, highest level being kind of the network. So think about, you know, the M3s or the DLCGs of the world. You know, that's another big network out there. And I'm sure there's many more that I don't know of or I didn't mention. So that's the highest. And then the second is basically the broker owners, right? Underneath that. And I think that, you know, the brokerage is someone, I guess, like yourself, Scott. And then the final one would be the individual brokers, the agents, the people actually, you know, on the ground, boots on the ground doing the deals. And really those are really what we think as our customers at Blue. So, you know, we hear a lot from those guys as well. So those are kind of the three layers that we're seeing. And yeah, a lot of change at all three. So, 
you know, maybe starting at the top in that order, you know, the network at that level, you know, for a long time, they've been working on these types of products, right? You know, the DLCG has been working on Velocity and M3 been working on Boss. And we really feel that, you know, now more than ever, you know, the race is on. So, you know, for maybe a couple of years, it was, hey, this is a thing we're trying. It's a beta. We're getting feedback from customers. Let's see how this goes and how adoption is. But that's not the tone anymore. The tone is now, okay, let's, you know, really try and roll this thing out. And I think rightfully so, because they have gone through that beta phase and they have kind of worked through maybe some of the things that prevented them before from a full scale launch. I think they're kind of there now. And they're really kind of pushing it. And we're seeing that, right? And they're being able to get a lot of adoption. And with that adoption, just almost in a positive feedback loop, make the product better, which leads to more adoption, which makes the product better. And that just seems to be accelerating a bit right now. So that's at that highest level there. And I'm not sure if you're seeing the same thing on your end, Scott. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons why it makes sense. One, there's a belief that can make a company worth more valuable because you have proprietary tech. The second is, is that they want to harvest and control the data. So obviously you have data on lots of mortgages. You can sell these people house insurance. You can like, there's so many things you can do. Everybody wants data. Like, you know, data is a valuable thing. It's the new currency, right? And especially in the AI world, right? It's like, it's just so valuable. So valuable. And then the third thing I see at the network level is that obviously everybody's feeling the pinch in terms of compression of deal volume as well as our commission size because people are selling typically shorter terms right now. So we're seeing not only number of units is down, but the pay per unit is down because of those two things. And so if I'm sitting at the head of a network and I've got a proprietary tech pipe to all these lenders that I make an override on that can help me recover some of the money that everybody's losing from lower volumes and lower commissions, you know, and all that stuff. Sure. And it yeah. makes sense why they would do it. So I think they put the time and energy into building these submission platforms. And now, you know, for the most part, they work. You know, and sure, there's like anything, everything can be improved. And now it's like, okay, let's turn on the machine and firehouse. Yeah. yeah. Some, anyways, it seems to be they go from a, you can use anything you want to now we're going to potentially penalize you for not using ours, financially penalize you because we want the revenue at our bottom line. Right. So, yeah. And our data. And, and, you know, for a while, I think that, you know, 2020, 2021, even the end of 2022, things are so busy that a lot of the response from the individual broker agent is, hey, I just don't have time to learn these new tools. And that's becoming maybe less of a reality. People do have more time now. And so I think, again, these networks are recognizing that and saying, hey, the time is ripe to go after that. And and so we're really seeing it. And so I think that leads actually nicely to what we're seeing on the broker agent side, which is not necessarily like a complete pushback against that, but I think, you know, very much like you just said, people are realizing, well, why are they going after this so hard? And, you know, a lot of people come to the same conclusion of data, right? Mm -hmm. And owning your client business. And I think that because of this, maybe partially, but maybe just partially the way the market's naturally evolved, you know, the individual broker agent is now saying, okay, I want to have control right? I do need to have at least some part of my data or some part of my customer journey or all of it that I own and I control because at the end of the day, it's my business. And if anything happens in my career, you know, I want to be able to take it with me wherever I might want to go. And so this top-down pressure is coming, the individual, you know, brokers are saying, well, I understand why you're doing it. And hey, actually, I want to do the same thing. And I want to get, you know, my own piece of my own business in my control. Right. And so yeah. we're seeing that yeah. more and more. Yeah. So we're talking the network level. What do you think at the brokerage level? What are you noticing are going on? 
So this yeah, is like so- individual broker owners who have like a franchise or whatever they call it, have a setup underneath a national network. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically it's kind of this weird thing where there's this top down pressure, right? In terms of the control, you know, the network's trying to eat more and more of it. And then the individuals are saying, hey, no, actually I want more control over myself more and more. And honestly, the brokerages in the middle are kind of getting squeezed a little bit, right? That they're getting this pressure from the top and the bottom. And just a small story there, I was talking to one broker owner of the many that we work with and you know, the sentiment was basically, well, what value do I provide on the tech front? They were a little bit at a loss, right? And it was because, you know, five years ago, what we did is we taught people how to use Phylogics and we gave them a CRM. And now with these different submission platforms, the, you know, training on Phylogics is well, still relevant, but not as relevant. And the CRM, mm-hmm. since, you know, the individual brokers and agents are wanting to control their own data, they're choosing products like Blue Mortgage that are giving them that type of control. So they're kind of caught in the middle a little bit. And I think, you know, what my response always is to those folks is, well, it's, you're not out of the equation, of course. It's just that the traditional model doesn't work anymore or not right. as well, I guess, right, in terms of tech. Well, I think that your value proposition as a broker owner, you have to modify it. I mean, it's always evolving and right. you can't get away with, you know, 2005 business strategies and plans today. It's just not going to work. Like we know this intuitively in other industries. We just don't think about it in our own because we don't like change in our industry. Change is tough. Okay. We yeah. like selective progress. I like to call selective progress <laughs> is progress <laughs> in the area, except where it's going to affect my income. Right. Like, yeah, of course. You know, the, right. the person yeah. who, because I saw somebody complaining about, I did a post about how there's like 80 million songs in my phone from Spotify. I'm like, how amazing is that? And some guy goes on and goes, wow, Spotify is terrible. They're blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't like, dude, music industry's changed. And so if it's you, over. the way they make yeah. money now, if you don't change with it, yeah, you can't sell CDs. So what's next, right? Or you bitch about it. The same guy probably orders stuff from Amazon that killed the small business on his street. He probably gets in an Uber that killed the taxi cab company and uses all these other services. He uses Netflix that's killing the theaters. And yet he has selective progress that he doesn't want progress around music because that's his thing. And mortgage brokers are the same. We want selective progress or broker owners. Mm-hmm. We want everything to improve except the things that are bubble. Cause I don't really want to change. I don't want to do the hard thing. I want to just keep making money. That's not the world we're in. And kicks Ken Blanchard has a book called who moved my cheese. And so have you heard this book, it's like a no, maze. So it's no. basically like rats in a maze or mice in a maze. And so they keep going moved, through the maze. Who moved my cheese. Okay. Yeah. And they keep yeah. finding yeah. the cheese in the same place. And, but eventually okay. the cheese moves and it's like, okay, you can be bitter that the cheese is not where you remembered it, or you can go find the no, move and find it. it. Yeah, and yeah. It's the same idea with this. Like a network has to provide is going to change. What a brokerage owner has to provide is going to change. And then even what the agents to provide to the customer is changing. The customer's expectations as well are part of this. Equation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not, they have a vote in this whole thing. And so if you are not prepared to adapt, you know, you're going to slowly watch your margins compress. You're going to slowly lose people and become irrelevant. And so I think... right. You can't have selective progress. You know, that's when the government jumps in and says, you know, they control the market. And then it's special interest. Nobody does, right? Nobody does that way. Like they did that with taxes for a long time. They had them. They're doing it with the news right now with this Bill C-18. I don't know if you're up to speed on that, but yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's the same thing, right? I mean, there's a lot of layers to it, but a lot of people are kind of seen through those layers is saying, okay, well, they're slowing down Google and Facebook for the sake of the legacy media. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, when there is progress, really at the end of the day, who benefits is usually the consumer, right? And so we should be encouraging 
that type of competition. The thing that it hurts the most, like you said, is the incumbent who now has to find their cheese again or whatever it is. But oh, is that yeah? Uh, that, that, yes. Okay, I've heard of yeah. this before. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is insane. You just look it up. Basically, yeah. the government yeah. is, you know. We digress. I, I don't, yeah. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to make <laughs> yeah. this a political podcast. I love yeah. politics. Yeah. I'm not going to do that podcast. I'm sure that. Yeah, I would not. I would not be popular. In any case, okay. So yeah, at the network level, obviously there's a pressure to get people onto their platforms. At the brokerage level, there's pressure to be like, how do I continue to adapt? And what is my value prop given that my network may be providing that, or maybe the customers going to go get their own solution? What else do you see at the agent level that in terms of you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that final level, it's honestly a lot of, you know, what we were saying about control. And I think control it does have two layers to it. One is about the data. Because again, like we were saying earlier, the data is the currency. And, you know, if you own your data, that's, you know, kind of your lifeblood as you evolve in your career. But then also, I think there's kind of a new layer to it, kind of like a 1A, 1B. And that 1B is your client journey. You know, you just talked about how the client, the end client, the person actually getting the mortgage is now demanding more. And so what that individual agent broker wants to do is they want to control what their customer journey looks like. They want to have that control. They don't want to have to, you know, force their client, I guess, right, go through the same application that everybody else does. They want to add that differentiation. They want to own it. And they want to be able to optimize that in a way that makes them competitive. So it's not just the data, but it's also the journey and how they interact with their clients too, right? So there's kind of two dimensions to that. Right. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I know that the average broker, we, as we've talked about before, but like, you know, volumes are down quite a bit. The mm-hmm. average commission's down because people tend to be taking shorter terms. So instead of a five-year term, which was pretty standard, now it's two and three-year terms. Three. And so everybody's feeling the pinch, including the agent. And then yep. when they're feeling the pinch, they're asking questions like, you know, what tools do I want to keep paying for? And what am I value am I getting from my brokerage or my network or even in the right industry? Should I go become an Uber driver? Or <laughs> joking, yeah. hopefully that's not the case. But you know, like there is a bit of an existential crisis for some mortgage brokers right now. And I know that in the real estate industry, a lot of realtors, well, probably more than we need, but there's a large chunk of realtors are leaving because they're like, well, you know, the no money's over kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But they'll be yeah. back. When the party starts again, these are people like bandwagon jumpers that you know, they follow yeah, a team be back, yeah. and then the other yeah. everybody else who's the real fans. So the brokers who are in it for the long haul, who are in it for the right reasons, they're going to be fine. It's going to be a little bit of a grind now, but when the market shifts, which it will, who knows, could be timeline I don't, unknown, but there will always be another it'll mini group. It'll come back. This is a cycle. Don't act like this is the new normal. And yep. when it does, if you're in a good position, you're going to do well. And so I think the key is acquire, you know, network and clients now while the market's the way it is. So no, exactly. It's one of those things where now is actually the time to get market share, right? Maybe the pie mm-hmm. is not as big, but you can get a bigger slice of the pie. And the idea yeah. being that, hey, when the pie does grow again, you're still maintaining your bigger slice. So the moves you make now are going to serve you, of course, now, but very much so when that pie grows again, right? You're going to have a bigger share, you know, to call your own, basically. Yeah, I think now is absolutely growth time. It's like thinking about, you know, what that looks like. And so many great companies were formed during recessions. I don't know if we're technically called a recession, but like during these really difficult, you know, they used to call them instead of recession, depression, they called them an economic panic. Back like 120 years ago, they were like, oh, yeah. panic of, you know, 1908 or whatever. It's like nowadays, you're like, oh, that's not good language because panic assumes like everybody's Everyone's running around. Now they're like, we got to take that language out. We don't want to call it a panic. It's a recession. That sounds better than panic. It sounds way better, right? Maybe I'll start like, using panic. See how that goes. Yeah. Economic panic. We're in a mortgage panic. We're in a panic. So what are your kind of final thoughts on this? Well, I think that, you know, as the market moves and maybe the ground level, you know, in terms of just mortgage volume, there's a lot of 
I guess, you know, at all three layers, there's the networks, there's the individual broker agents, and then there's the broker owners in the middle. And each of them are feeling kind of a shift because of that from a technological perspective, whether it's the right time to learn a new system, to get trained up, to, you know, take out more ownership, to find new ways that you can differentiate. This movement is creating these types of opportunities. And I think the people who, you know, take advantage of these opportunities and jump on these trends that are happening are going to be better off, you know, as we were talking about just now, that pie grows again. Right. Agreed. And if you're listening to this, I encourage you guys to check out Blue Mortgage. Blue has no E in blue. And uh, Tom and his company, they can help you own your data, control your data, market to your data. And you guys play nice with all the different submission platforms. But, you know, if somebody changed companies or anything changes or company gets sold, and you're like, hey, I don't want to be part of this company. You still have access to your data, which is very valuable. So I encourage yep. you guys to check that out. Thanks, Scott. Thanks again for listening to these episodes. In the next episode, I talk to Christian about clever marketing strategies you probably haven't tried. I haven't heard them before, and I've been doing this a long time, and I've done a lot of interviews and talked to a lot of people, and there was some nuance to some of his stuff that I was like, huh, that's very clever. And so he comes at this from an engineer background, not a sales background, but I think you're going to find it very useful. Check that one out, and thanks again for listening to the show. And remember, if you want to grow your business, collaboration is absolutely critical. That's one of my core beliefs. Uh, thanks again for listening. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.